Well, I'm happy to welcome you today as we gather once again as the Christ Journey family, not only across the nation, around the world through Church Online, but you know what? Right here in South Florida, Gables Campus, Kendall Campus. Now, why mention South Florida in Miami today except to tell you this? In Miami, you can't talk about championship football without talking about Don Shula, winningest coach in NFL history. 347 wins, including the Dolphins' 1972 perfect season. The only team in NFL history undefeated and untied in regular and postseason games and then won the Super Bowl. This is incredible. What a champion. So the name Shula and Respect travel together as champions. Nick Saban was also a coach for the Miami Dolphins with a different kind of record in his professional football experience. The NFL was challenging and was clarifying for him. But in college coaching, listen, his record now includes six national championships, more than all other active college football coaches. So after last year's national champion, after last season's national championship, that incredible comeback game, you remember that? Uh, I have never really been much of a Saban fan, but I went to John Churchill, our missions pastor, and uh, he's an Alabama grad, deep crimson fan, and I thought, you know, I asked him about Saban. I thought maybe there's a leadership lesson to be had here, and uh, you know, you remember Alabama was all but gone at halftime, and Saban pulls out his starting quarterback, puts in his freshman backup, and they rally and win the game. How gutsy is that? So I thought, well, maybe there's some leadership lesson I should pay attention to here. So next thing you know, John has given me Saban's book, which is entitled, How Good Do You Want to Be? A Champion's Tips on How to Succeed at Work and in Life. Now, I'm not going to do a book review uh, I'm simply underlining the fact that many of us care about getting on the winning side of that equation, but not only in football, but in life. And you may be surprised by this, but so does John, the apostle of Jesus. We've been making our way through his letter, 1 John, and today we're in chapter 5, the final chapter of the book, where he says this, everyone born of God overcomes the world. That's the way winners think. That's the way winners talk. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world? Goes on, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we're going to unpack that a little bit more. What's he talking about? We're going to get to that. But today's message is about winning. It's about overcoming the world. It's about being a champion. And John says it can happen for you in this life and in eternal life. He's already told us that great, the one that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. And he's already told us that perfect love drives out fear. So what we've learned is we've got the resources and we've got the motivation and so now, today, he's going to show us, here's the strategy. Here's the way to win. Some tips on how to lead your life to succeed in Christ. And the first five verses 
show us four essential ingredients to a winning equation. Belief, love, vision, action. Belief, love, vision, action. Essentials. Action, what he calls obey his commands. Verse 1, everyone who believes, that's where it begins. To believe means you've been persuaded to affirm, that you, you trust, you have confidence. And so what he says, then, so we start with belief, then verses 1 and 2 say, love. Everyone who loves. We love the Father, we love His Son, we love His children. Everyone who loves. To love here means to give preference. To have preference. In football, you have preference for your team. You give preference to your team. Our community gives preference to one another. We're on the same team, he's saying. So, if you're wondering, am I on God's team? You know, he's going to show us how, but not quite yet. Our vision, then, is the next. It's also seen here. We are children of God. We're not just accidents of time. We're not random compilations of chemical reactions and emotional opinions. We're not merely consumers. We're not merely potential votes. What he says is we are children of God. This is our identity and our vision. We, uh, we are people of value, people of worth, people who when we see each other, we see God's vision. We see God's children. We see who we are, we see where we're going, we see what, we're, what we can be. What can we be? Overcomers. Champions in life, that's what he's writing about. Victorious in Christ. And then we also see how it's done, which brings us to action. How it's put into action. Verses 2 and 3, carrying out God's commands. Obeying his commands, he said. Now in football, that's called running the plays. That's called working the game plan. Or putting it into practice, you know, getting it on the field. In football, we know what it means to win, to score. What does it mean to overcome in the spiritual contest? What does it mean to overcome the world like he's talking about? Two things. It means first, overcoming the fallen world system that is hostile to God and inhumane to people. Overcoming the system that is hostile to God and inhumane to people. That invisible essence that is at work in the world in rebellion and resistance against the knowledge of God and His will in life and His treatment of people. The systems of thought and ideology that are at play that keep us from experiencing the fullness of knowing God and being loved and, and loving God and being known by God and being loved by God. That's what the system is keeping us from. So, in this context, the word world does not mean the good world that God created and has given to us for life. It doesn't mean the people of the world that God so loves, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. It's talking about that invisible system that is at odds with God and then orders itself as if there were no God or as if we are God in our pride. So John is talking about the world system as a spiritual force that is hostile to God and inhumane to people. Second, it means over, we're going to overcome that. Second, it means overcoming the temptations 
of the evil one in the world, the entrapments that are set as he twists and abuses the good world to bait our pride, to uh, entice our egocentric fallen natures and appetites to try to take us down through deception and misdirection and lead us into harming others. In this conflict, we contend with three opposition forces. The tempter, the temptation, and the tempted. The tempter is the external evil one, the Satan, the devil, this invisible spiritual opponent that is at work in the world. Temptation is uh, God's good world and yet twisted and abused to be uh, seized on our terms rather than enjoyed according to God's design within the boundaries God has given. And then the tempted is the fallen nature that's in me, that's in you, the fallen human nature within each of us that drives us to say this, you know, I want to do life my way. I want what I want when I want it because I want it. And I don't have time or inclination to wait on God. What God wants, I will be my own God. Thank you. Pride. Now John says, in the spiritual realm, our trust relationship with Jesus Christ is critical, is central to overcoming this con in this conflict. Our faith in his victory makes it real in our experience. Why is Jesus so central in this conflict? Well, because of his role in it. And there are three parts to that role. Jesus is Messiah. He's model. He's our model, and he is our mediator. First, our Messiah. Verse 1, Jesus is the Christ, born of God. Christ means Messiah, God's anointed who has come to be our liberator, fulfiller of prophecy, the one who came to set the people free. This is Jesus' role. Verse 6, the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. That means Messiah. More about that in a moment. Second, Jesus is our model. In his humanity, he was a 100% human being. He shows us how to be. He shows us how victory is done in the world, but not of the world, but in the flesh as a real human being, just like you and just like me. So how do you spell overcoming? In a word, obedience. Obedience. Jesus did it he modeled it for us, and he did it to show us how. Third, Jesus is our mediator. He mediates God's new covenant into our conflict and shows us how to trust God by the power of his spirit. And then our lives are lived as conduits of God's spirit power and God's intimacy in our world. So the life of victory that John is talking about is a life of the Spirit. We are born again by the Spirit of God. We overcome the world by the power of the Spirit of God. We are led by the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We win and wage war in the Spirit. Verse 8, John says, the Spirit of Truth, capital S, capital T, is giving testimony, a spiritual testimony about truth that God wants us 
to believe. Remember, that's critical to a winning game. Believe. Verse 5, who is he that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood. Now, what does that mean? Most scholars believe that it refers to Jesus' baptism and to his crucifixion. Two very public points in time where Jesus' office as Messiah is made manifest. At his baptism, Jesus comes up out of the water and a voice is heard from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. And then at the close of his ministry, at the cross, John chapter 19, verse 34, a soldier pierces Jesus' side with a spear and a flow of water and blood is released. And John is saying, you know, I saw that with my own eyes. I can give testimony. It's a true testimony that Jesus was dead, all the way dead. I saw it. Now, back up. In the text, we've already noted that obeying God is the key to overcoming. And Jesus models that obedience for us. So, as I'm reflecting upon this, this thought rises up for me. Verse 7, there are three that testify. There's a testimony we're supposed to believe. He says the spirit, the water, and the blood. And John tells at the beginning of the letter that he saw this with his own eyes. And so he is now bearing witness to Jesus' obedience. At his water baptism, Jesus obediently stepped into his calling in history. He came to identify with sinners that were ready for a change in life. And in his immersion, completely identifies and promises solidarity with God's redemptive purpose, that he came to live, to die, to lay down his life, to rise again. And, uh, and in that water gave testimony that he was taking the mantle of that ministry upon himself, officially beginning his ministry in obedience to the call of God, in alignment to the Father's will. Then on the cross, the water and the blood, John sees flow from Jesus' side. That happens after Jesus has said, it is finished. Now he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What? The job that he came to do. The work of redemption on the cross. On the cross, Jesus obediently fulfilled his calling, not only in history, but in his body, in his physiology. And John says, that's a testimony that is bearing witness to truth that needs to be believed. And then the third to testify is the Spirit, verses 7 and 8. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Agreement about what? All about Jesus' obedience. Jesus the Messiah, who is modeling obedience for us, who obediently stepped into the water of baptism, taking upon himself his calling in life. He steps into history. He obediently fulfilled his calling in death at the cross where he spilled his blood and now he is applying that obedience to our benefit 
in the conflict at hand, in the spiritual battlefield. He is mediating that victory to us by his spirit. He didn't just die for your sins. Listen, Jesus broke the, the, the stranglehold, the death grip that the tempter and temptation have upon human fallen nature, the tempted fallen nature within us. And now by his spirit, Jesus can bring his victory into your, over sin, over death, into your heart. In fact, that's what John says he does. Verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. The Spirit is bearing witness. So this gift of overcoming isn't just for the spiritual elite. It's for everyone who believes. And Jesus has given us reason to believe in his life, in his death, in his rising again by the power of his spirit now available to us and those testifying he says here they are the water of his baptism the blood of his cross and the spirit alive and well jesus has obediently testified in history in physiology and in pneumatology don't get tangled up in that word it just means the things of the spirit and to the difference his obedience can bring in our life and John says that's overcoming the world right there. Remember, overcoming is spelled obedience. Now Christ's obedience meets us when we act in faith. Believe, love, vision, action in faith over the world. We overcome the world. This is great. But next he says something controversial. Verse 10. Anyone who does not believe Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given about his son. Now, how can, that, how, how can he dare say that? I mean, if, if I don't believe, I'm making God out to be a liar? I mean, if I, because I disagree, because I don't believe that I need what God has to give, I mean, what testimony? Verse 11. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. By the way, it's a gift. It's not works-based. This is all based on the obedience of Jesus Christ, which he now gives us for our overcoming. He did the work. You get the gift. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life, but he who, has, who doesn't have the son of God does not have life. In other words, God has made his Messiah fully manifest in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his life again by the spirit, his spirit availability. All of God's resources are now available to us in Jesus Christ and to believe, to think, believe, or act as if, that, as if God hasn't done that, John says, is to make God out to be a liar. Now, does that sound extreme to you? A little bit, maybe. Let me say it this way then. I have here, uh, this is my wallet. Um, it holds my ID, my identity. It holds my insurance information. It holds my cash and my credit cards. In other words, 
all of my resources, my resources for living, I have in my wallet. So if you have my wallet, guess what you have? Access to all of my resources for living. By the way, if it makes you nervous when a preacher starts talking about a wallet, I got to tell you, it makes me nervous too. This isn't about your wallet. This is an illustration about my wallet that's going to talk about how God wants to bring all of his resources, unlimited resources, into your life. It's like God is saying this, Christ, Jesus Christ is my wallet. And uh, in him is everything you're going to need, all the resources that you need for overcoming in life. They're right there in Him. In Him you have eternal life. That's what John's talking about. But you know what? If you refuse Him, if you deny Him, if you ignore Him, if you disagree that God's resources are in Him, or as if you act as if you don't need Him, you know what? That doesn't change the fact that in truth, they are, and you do. That's what John is saying. What it reveals is the fact that you are not personally embracing the truth. So, what if you were to tell me that you don't believe that my identity and my resources for living are in my wallet? Would you be accurate? No. No. What, what in fact, you would be doing is saying, Bill, you're a liar. You'd be making me out to be a liar, even though I could say, no, 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 it's right here, it's all there. No, disbelieving what I said was true does not make it less than true. It simply means that you would be missing out on me spending any of it on you. That my generosity might be connected there so that you could experience it. That's what John is saying. God has claimed that Jesus is his Christ. His wallet full of resources for living for us. And John is saying, I was an eyewitness to these things, to these testimonies. I saw them in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his life again. John was in the upper room when the Spirit came, just as Jesus said he would. And that's why he's saying, you know, anybody who doesn't believe this is calling God a liar because God has spoken. God has spoken in history, Jesus in Jesus' water baptism. God has spoken in physiology, in Jesus' bodily death and on the cross. And God has spoken in his spirit, the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, when the spirit of Christ came to this earth. So if you want to show that you're not calling God a liar, it's like John is saying, all you got to do is prove that Jesus didn't really live and minister, that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, and that Jesus really didn't rise and send his spirit. Because all three of those are giving testimony right now to those who believe. But to those who believe, remember, that's the word that we started with. Four essentials for a winning game. Believe, who love God's team. Who, uh, who share God's vision and see people from the way Jesus taught us to, then they can take action 
in obedience, and the victory of Jesus comes to our battlefield. That's what John is trying to say. He who has the Son has life, just like whoever has Bill's wallet has resources to Bill's life, so also in Christ. We have everything God has to give. Now, can we just bring it home? What are some takeaways from this? Well, first I would suggest this. Keep Christ central to your life. If you haven't trusted him as your savior, followed him as your Lord, then that's where it starts. Because what you're doing is accessing all that God has for you through his spirit by trusting Christ in a faith that obeys. And believer, if you have received him, then it's time to trust him as you step out in faith. Keep Christ central in your life through a faith that obeys. Christ obeyed God's call in life, you can do it too. He modeled it for us, and this is the secret to fighting a good fight. You step out in faith. You don't do it on your own strength, but you can pray this every day, in every way, Lord, I welcome you into every part of my life. I started with that prayer this morning. We make ourselves available to what God wants to do in us in every part of our life. That means, secondly, that we're going to be replacing lies and those deceitful replays in our mind and in culture. We're going to be replacing those with truth. The spirit of truth is going to guide us into freedom. So you can ask God, open my eyes more and more to see your truth for my life and then step into God's truth to fulfill what his calling is so that you can do your job in life there was a scene in the movie matrix it's so poignant to me I, I, I just you remember where cypher um, is eating a bite of steak and he says I know this steak isn't real because it's it's a representation created by the matrix to keep him trapped he said, but I, I like the way it makes me feel. What John is asking us to do, I mean, Cypher sold out to something he knew wasn't real because of how it made him feel in the moment. Don't do that. Instead, ask God to show you where you are tempted to be substituting a false God. Something less than what's real, and then settling for less instead of what God desires for you. That's a step in growth. Now, we all have hungers that are seeking satisfaction, but I love C.S. Lewis' quote. He says this, If I find in myself desires that this world cannot satisfy, I can only conclude I was made for another world. See, that's overcoming this world. We start living for the kingdom in this world. The Christian life is a spirit life lived in the material world for the world yet to come. And then so third, we learn by doing. We win in life by engaging the battle through obedient faith. So you've got to engage. You've got to challenge the enemy. We don't just stay on the bench. We don't just watch from a distance. We've got to get in the game. You hear the story about that person that was praying about their day? They said, well, so far, Lord, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been nasty or grumpy. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been selfish or overindulgent. And I'm pretty glad about that. 
but in a minute, Lord, I'm going to be getting out of bed and I'm going to need your help. See, it's time to get out of bed. That's what John is saying. It's time to uh, engage the challenge and enter the battlefield so that in the conflict we can experience the victory Christ has and then watch his overcoming bear fruit in our lives. The true Christian life is a spirit life in a material world. We don't avoid the world. What we do is enter into it and learn to live above it while we're seeking to reach others in it. How? Receive Christ's victory as yours by faith. Believe. Trust his obedience to empower yours. When you're thinking about telling a lie, let the spirit of truth guide your thinking. When rage is rising and you're tempted to unload it on somebody verbally, then you let the Spirit of Christ speak peace. When you're lonely and you're tempted to settle for a substitute instead of the real thing, you let the Spirit of God, through His presence, bring you into His fellowship with Christ as our Messiah, our model, and our mediator, we can overcome the tempter, temptation, and the tempted as people who what? Who believe, who love, who envision, and who take action, who live. And you know what? If you're thinking, well, I still don't understand it. Here's what John is saying. You don't have to understand it because when you believe it, that victory comes to work for you. John says, the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes. Would you pray with me? Lord, I believe you love me. If this prayer fits your heart, would you, would you join me in it? I believe you love me. I believe you're there for me in Christ. I believe your spirit is alive in me. I believe you have forgiven me and you are growing me to be more free every day. I believe you are releasing me so that I can rise to fulfill your purpose in my life. I believe you are greater than any habit or hang up in my life. You are my Messiah, my Savior, and in you I have life. Live through me. In my home, in my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood, in my world. Friend, maybe you're here as a guest today or maybe you've been coming for a while and something has called you to come back but you're still wondering, have I entered into the relationship? Every week we offer a prayer. I'm going to offer one now. Maybe it's the next step for you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. I am turning from my way to seek to walk your way and by faith I believe that on the cross you died for me from the grave you rose for me, and now I invite your spirit to find welcome in me. Cleanse my sins, empower me, that I can walk with you into a new day of victory. In your name I pray, amen.